changes everything because if the gospel didn't change everything, we would be in big, big, big trouble. This morning, if you will, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Shocker, I know we've only been there a couple of weeks and we'll only be there a couple more months, I promise. But uh, this morning we'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 8. But before we get started this morning, um, I don't know about y'all, but I feel like I've been under attack a lot lately. Um, I feel like, I almost feel like I'm being invaded. You know what I mean? I feel like my mind's being invaded. I feel like my heart's being invaded. I feel like my family's being invaded. I feel like my, my values are being invaded. I feel like I'm being hit on every way that's coming. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, it, it just gets hard. It gets hard. It gets hard to put on that smiling face, doesn't it? It gets hard to put on that attitude that everything is okay when we know everything is not okay. And this week as I was studying in Hebrews chapter 8, studying about the covenants, I come to a point in time that reminded me a lot of some of the things that we're seeing and it was a point in time in Israel's days in the city of Jerusalem when it was being invaded. It was being invaded by an outside force that would come, take hold of it, and keep hold of it for quite some time. When Babylon, when the forces of Babylon come and uh, destroyed Jerusalem, took all the inhabitants, it was a hard time. It was a hard time for the children of Israel and I think we can identify with that today. Sometimes it's a hard time for us when we feel like things that we've held to for so long have been taken away from us. But in Isaiah chapter 43, Isaiah says this to us. But forget all of that. Forget all of that. And he's talking to the children of Israel who are about to be put in captivity. But forget all of that. For it is nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. And do you see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will make great rivers in the desert lands. And I think what we forget sometimes is even in the middle of everything that's happening in our lives, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the, in the, middle of the attacks, the oppression, whatever you want to call it, he's still at work. He's still doing something new. And that something new is something that is very hard for us to comprehend. But before we get started this morning, before I really get into the word this morning, I want to take a time of prayer. And I know all of you've got a lot on your plate right now. I know many of you are dealing with many medical issues. I know some of you are dealing with people, dealing with issues of losing loved ones. I know some of you are dealing with things in your home and your families. And I just want us to take a moment. And I want us to go before our Lord and just lay all that at his feet. Because I don't want anything to hinder what comes out of this word today. Because this word has power. This word has power for us even to this day. Even though it was written some 2,000 years ago. 
it still has power for us today. I'm going to kneel right here. Anybody who wants to come to the altar, you're more than welcome to come to the altar. You just want to stay where you're at, pray where you're at, that's fine too. But I want us to come and lay everything at the feet of Jesus this morning and ask him to fill our hearts with the wisdom of this word. Father, as I've already said this morning, I am constantly reminded that this is not my home. You have told us, Lord, that we are strangers in a strange land. You've told us, Lord, that because of what we believe, we would be persecuted. Because of what we believe that we would be rejected by our friends, by our loved ones, by even our family. But you've told us, Lord, that also that when we are rejected, when we are oppressed, when we are persecuted, it is not because of what we do, but it's because of what you've already done. And this morning, Lord, I come to you laying so many things before you. Father, my heart is often overwhelmed with what's going on in our world and what I see going on in our families. But Father, I'm reminded day in and day out that I'm limited on what I can do. But the truth is, Lord, you are the one who meets every need. So Father, I lay all these concerns for families, for friends, for loved ones before you this morning. Father, this, this is a burden that I can't carry on my own, but you've never asked me to carry it either. You've asked me to bring it to you and leave it. And this morning, that's what I'm doing. Father, I also ask that you would help me to resist all of Satan's snares and temptations because, Lord, there are many. Everywhere I turn, I'm seeing a new trap. Everywhere I turn, I'm seeing fiery arrows pointed at me. Everywhere I turn, Lord, I know that Satan is doing all he can to trip me up. I know he's doing all he can to trip up your church as well. Which tells me this, Lord, that he sees your church as a threat. And Father, because of that, he's going to, go, he's going to throw even more things at us. And it's during these times, Lord, that we not should only just count it as a great trial, but we also should count it as great joy. Because, Lord, our heart is to make an, a true advancement for the gospel in this world. And, Father, as we dig into this gospel this morning, as we dig into this new covenant, I pray, Lord, that you would allow our hearts to be fully open to receive what it is in your word that you have for us this morning. Father, this word was written years ago to a group of people that's not even us, but the application to it, Lord, is so strong in our lives today. Father, you made a covenant a long time ago. That covenant was made by the death of your son, Jesus Christ. And the promises that you gave us in that covenant still stand today. So, Father, I just pray that you would give us eyes to see, 
ears to hear, and a true heart to understand what your word has for us this morning. Father, I pray that we would come to you, Lord, openly confessing our sins to you, pleading for help from you, because, Lord, you are our only help. Now this morning, Lord, allow your spirit and your word to do in our lives what only it can do. Transform us, Lord. Transform us from the inside out. Make it so apparent in our lives that people will know that we have spent time with you. We desire, Lord, for your name to be made known all over this world. Help us as we do it. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, this week we start a new section in the book of Hebrews. We're going to be talking about the new covenant a lot. We're going to be talking about the old covenant a lot. And we're going to be talking about a lot of the differences in between them. But there's just something about the whole concept of new that draws us. We tend to like new things. We love new cars. All of us have that dream car that we want. Mine's a Porsche. You want to know the humorous thing? I tried to fit in one. I can't. My dream car is not a dream for me. It's a nightmare. We all have aspirations of new homes. We love new homes because new homes are clean. They're not broken. There's not holes in the wall. There's not hinges that creak. There's not all these things that are going on with our homes. We desire for new homes. For some of us, we desire new cities. We desire a new city because we want to go somewhere where we can have a fresh start. Sometimes the city doesn't do it. Sometimes we need a new state. So we move to a new state again, desiring a fresh start. Some of us desire new jobs. We desire to have a job to where we feel like we're not only being valued, but we also want to have a new job to where we feel like we're actually putting something on the table that is worthwhile. All in all, most of us just want a new beginning. How many of us have sit there at night, especially New Year's night? Man, I wish I could have done things different. I wish I could go back to the beginning of this year, start it all over again, and do it completely different. There's just something about the whole concept of new that absolutely draws us. But at the same time, there are some aspects of new that we really don't care for. Nobody likes a new diet. You know what I mean? Nobody likes a new diet. I am quite content with my diet and I've been told many, many times that I need to go on a new diet. But the only problem is the new diet won't taste as good as the diet that I'm currently on. Some of us have to have new medications. As we get older, I tell people all the time, you know, life's fun until you hit 40 and then that check engine light comes on and it does not go off. It just stays on, glaring. Every time you turn around, you get up in the morning, your back creaks and it never did that before or your knee catches and you're not used to that or your hands hurt for no reason and you're not really sure why. You wake up in the morning with a headache and you're thinking, what did I do? But we have to have these new medications to handle things in our bodies. Some of us, 
We have to have new routines. None of us like this. Nobody likes a shift in their routine. We are creatures of habit. And we, when we get involved in a routine, that's where we want to stay. And when these routines get a... Um, when these routines get adjusted, it causes us all conflict, especially in my own family. Some of us are put in new positions. And these new positions aren't always what we thought they would be. I love it how everybody wants, talks about how they want to be in management and then they get in management and they do anything to get back on the assembly line. Because it ain't all it's cracked up to be. For some... We've had to adjust to new norms. This has been a concept that's been talked about a lot over the last couple of years. What's the new normal? It's funny how something, the concept of new, can draw us, but can also push us away so fast. We want new. We want new. We want new things that we desire. But we don't always want new when it comes to new being what's best for us. And it's a hard run to decipher between. Because some of these news do bring us pleasure. But some of these news bring on more burden. And this displeasure would change. This displeasure with change and a new new is why the writer of Hebrews is writing what he's writing. And he's trying to tell the people of the Hebrew nation that there is a better way, that there is a greater life, and there is more to, more to life that they are completely missing. So in Hebrews chapter 8, he starts off by saying this. Now the main point and what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the sanctuary and a, in a true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were here on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy, who serve a shadow of the heavenly things just as Moses was warned by God when he was, <clears throat> when he is about to wreck the tabernacle, how see, he says, that you make all the things according to the patterns which was shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more ex excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been intact on a better promise. For if, we ha if, the if that first covenant had been faultless, there would be no occasion, <clears throat> there would have been no occasion sought for a second covenant. For finding fault in them, he says, behold, 
Days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the new covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant and I did not care for them, says the Lord. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, know the Lord for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. When the writer of Hebrews is uh, telling this to the Hebrew people, he's trying to tell them about a new transition in their life, a new transition of how they come to God, a new transition of how they will be able to present themselves before the Lord. And he uses a word in here that we don't use a lot anymore. He uses the word covenant. And we're we're not always so sure what a covenant is. But a covenant is a simple agreement between two parties. And in this agreement, there are terms and there are promises. Now see, today we understand contracts because almost everybody in this room is probably in a contract in some way, shape, or form. If you have a cell phone, you are in a contract with a provider. You will pay your bill and they may give you service. It's truth lately. You're in a contract with your home. You've told a mortgage company that I want this house. That mortgage company said, we will buy this house for you and we will allow you to stay in this house under these terms. Pay your bills. For those who went to college, you entered agreement under student loans. You said, I want this education. Touchy subject, isn't it, right now? You said, I want this education. And in return for you paying for this education for me, I will pay this money back when I get my job. That's what it says. You're in a contract with your spouse. Many of you didn't know that, did you? You remember remember those words? I promise to love you in sickness and in health, in good times and bad, till death do us part. I'm going to be honest with you, in Sunday school, I thought we were about to see death till death do us part real soon. (laughs) But you entered a contract or a covenant with your spouse. See, we understand contracts. We talk in contracts all the time. 
I'll do this if you do this. And that is exactly what God has been doing from the very beginning. In the Bible, we find all kinds of contracts or covenants. I prefer covenants because contracts, the contract today is just not seen like it should be. Unfortunately, a man is not bound by his word anymore. But a covenant in a lot of ways is completely different. The first covenant we see is the Noah covenant. This is right after Noah, all the animals, and his kids get off the boat after close to 400 days. And Noah comes before God, presents an offering to him, and God says this, fill the earth, fill the earth. And I promise you, I will never destroy the whole earth with water again. Another covenant we see is the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant was made with Abraham. And this covenant is actually found in two parts. It's found in Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 17 because they both tie in. But the covenant or the agreement between Abraham and God was this. And I'm going to say this in a nice way. If you deny your flesh, circumcision, I will make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sands, as the uh, sand grains on the shore. There was terms. There was an agreement. Every once in a while, we have an unconditional covenant. The Davidic covenant is an unconditional covenant. There were no terms presented to David on this covenant. God just said to David that I will make your lineage the lineage from which the Messiah comes. He will come from the lineage of Judah. He will come from your lineage. And there's no terms with it. The covenant that the Hebrews were very, very, very aware of was a conditional covenant, though. It was a conditional covenant. It's a covenant that we all know. Some of us call it the Mosaic covenant. Some of us call it the old covenant. And some of us just simply call it the law. The law was a conditional covenant. Here's what God said. If you obey, let me repeat that. If you obey, I will destroy your enemies, give you land, bless you, your children, your land, your possessions, and I will be with you wherever you go. Okay, what did God promise the people? What did God promise the people? I will destroy your enemies. I will give you land. I will bless you, your children, all of your possessions, and I will be with you wherever you go. Everybody agree on that? You ever notice something about that covenant though? Because this is the covenant that God made with Moses. This is the covenant that God made with the children of Israel. This covenant 
was one that was observed for many hundreds and thousands of years. And some people still observe it today. These were the terms. If you obey, I will give you land. I will bless you. I will bless your children. I will bless your land. I will bless your possessions and I'll be with you wherever you go. Where is there anything about salvation in that? You ever thought about that? Biscotti. There was the sacrifices. Did the sacrifices guarantee salvation? Did they? Because a lot of people believe that they did guarantee salvation. But let me ask you this. Let's just say today's the day of atonement. Everybody comes and they bring their cows, they bring their sheep, they bring all that. We do something and we sacrifice all the cows, the sheep and all that and all your sins that are past are covered, correct? So what happens if you were to drive out of here, steal something from somebody and die later today? Is it covered? No. No, it's not. No, it's not at all. The law never really brought forgiveness of sin. The old covenant is something that most of us though can identify with. And you wanna know why we can identify with it? We can identify with it because the old covenant is a checklist. It is a list of rules. It is a list of guidelines and let's just be honest. A lot of us like that, don't we? A lot of us like checklists. A lot of us like rules. And a lot of us like guidelines. Why? Why? Because they're black and white. They're black and white. Why else? Boundaries. That's a good one. Why else? Expectations. That's a good one. Anyone else? What was that? Order. It brings order. And it lets you know that you're on the right path. It lets you know that you are marching in a way to a right path. How many of y'all have done Enneagrams or personality tests? Anybody? All right, keep your hands raised for all those who've done them. How many of you are a type C? Not? You're sure? I want you to retake your test. Because a right type C is a analytical person. Analytical people love rules. Analytical people love guidelines. Analytical people love checklists. Why? Because there is a way to do everything. I am a type B. You know what that means? I hate guidelines. I hate checklists. I hate rules. Matter of fact, if you give me a set of rules on a piece of paper, I'm either gonna use it as toilet paper or airplanes, I'm not really sure which. But I've never been one who really liked rules. My mom can tell you that too. But even in that, there are still some things as I get older that makes me like order. Like when I become a dad. Hmm. 
I used to think that I hated order and then I got kids and I realized how much order I wanted. You know what I mean? You used to think that you loved to be able to be free, just to do everything that you wanted to do. And then you watch your kids be free and turn your sunroom into their new toy room. Or to leave their Legos on the floor. Or to take their little baseball bats and use them as weapons instead of sporting devices. See, as I'm getting older, I understand that yes, there is a need for some order. There is a need for us to have order in our life and structure in our life. But at the same time, we've also got to realize that this old covenant that brought order, that brought structure, that brought all this only brought an earthly covenant. It never brought a heavenly promise. It brought earthly order, not a heavenly promise. You don't believe me? Look at me. Look at it with me. Starting in verse 7. It says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to salt for a second covenant. The first covenant, and we talked about this. We talked about this last week. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. The first covenant was not faultless. Matter of fact, the first covenant did nothing but point fault to us. It showed us how inadequate we were at keeping all these checklists. And I'm going to be honest with you. If we were to be people who sought after the law today, every single one in this room would be in trouble. Every single one in this room would be in trouble. Let me ask you this. Have you dishonored your mother and father? Brittany, have you ever dishonored mom and dad? You know what the punishment for that is? We should stone you. Tommy thought about it many a times. But that is the punishment. That is the punishment that the law requires for people who bring dishonor to their mother and father. They should be killed. And I know some of you are like, can we bring a little bit of it back? Maybe not the killing, but extreme scolding. Can we at least have some narrowance in there, please? What about the Sabbath? How many of you can honestly say that you practice Sabbath? According to the law. Can you? No. No, you don't. Did you cook everything that you needed to eat yesterday for today? Nope. Are you going to go to the restaurant after this and buy something from somebody? Probably. Are you going to walk more than a certain distance given in a day? Most likely. You don't hold a Sabbath. And see, this is the part that gets me. Because there's a lot of people that say we have got to hold to the law. But if we hold to one part of the law, we have to hold to every single bit of it. We can't cherry pick. We can't just pick this one and this one because that becomes legalism. 
And see, that's why another reason we do like the law. Because we like to assert certain things in our life and certain things in others. But we got to remember, we don't practice at all. But at the same time, I want you to have this relief. You were never intended to practice at all. You weren't. You were not intended to practice at all. He goes on to say, For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Is anybody in here of the house of Israel? Raise your hand if you are. Anybody here of the tribe of Judah? Raise your hand if you are. (laughs) Pocahontas maybe, but not the tribe of Judah. He is saying that this new covenant that's coming about, yes, it is directed towards these individuals because these old covenants were directed at these individuals. Hang on, don't lose track. I'm not saying this is not for us. We'll get to it later. But he is specifically pointing out to the people of Hebrews that you could not live this covenant out and I am creating or starting a new covenant in you, with you. Now, I want you to realize this. This was not plan B. This was not, okay, I'm going to do this, and if these kids behave, we'll do this, and if these kids behave, we'll do this. No, this was God's intent from the very beginning. Because the seal of the new covenant is Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. This is what inaugurated the whole new covenant. And we are told, Paul's even told us, that before the foundations of the earth had even been set in place, God had already appointed his son to die for our sins. He had already appointed it. But he also says that there's another, there's a different, there's a reason something new, something different had to come in effect. In verse nine, not like the covenant which I had made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt for they did not continue in my covenant. They did not continue in my covenant. And I didn't care for them. A lot of people will say, well, this whole new covenant, old covenant argument is God changing his mind. Who really changed their mind? Remember the agreement to the covenant. If you obey, if you obey, if you, I will destroy your enemies. I will give you land. I will bless everything you own and I will be with you forever. How long did it happen? How long did it take place when this covenant was put in place before the children of Israel 
turn their black back. When the covenant was being given, they were already turning their back. The children of Israel, and this is what amuses me the most. Children of Israel want to hold to this covenant today. And some of you have even heard about it. Brian pointed it out to me, a couple others. Some of y'all read the news articles this week talking about the four red heifers. The four red heifers that kind of coming out of Texas because every good thing comes out of Texas, we know that. But have coming out of Texas and have been taken to Israel, have been approved by the rabbis, and they've, been done, they've done this to do something very, very important. Do y'all know why they need these heifers? Because when they build a new tabernacle, they have to have these heifers, these red heifers to inaugurate this tabernacle. These heifers have to be ready to be sacrificed so this temple can be in working order. They're still trying to hold to this covenant. But you know the only problem is? Most of them have it offered a sacrifice in well over a thousand years. They're already out of their covenant and they don't even know it. It's kind of sad, isn't it? It's kind of sad that they're out of their covenant and they don't even realize it. And they don't realize that the words of Jeremiah, because that's where this is coming through, I'm Jeremiah 33 verses 31 through 34, that they are out of their covenant. They broke the covenant, not God. But it also goes on to say that the writer is even telling them that the children of Israel be, will become a part of a new covenant. So this is not a shocker. But he says, listen to this, it says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. After what days? After what days? Anybody know? I'll give you a little hint. Verses, chapter 30 of Jeremiah starts talking about the need for a deliverance. In verse chapter 31, it starts talking about a new hope. And in all these chapters of Jeremiah, he's talking about a time of tribulation. A time that will have to pass before the children of Israel will really accept this new covenant. Because they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They do not believe that he is the chosen one. They don't believe that he is the one that has come to bring remission of sins, to bring them into a right relationship with God. They do not believe he is the king. They do not believe he is the savior. So there has got to be a time that's coming about. And this time, it is a time of tribulation. Currently, Israel still depends on a covenant that they already broke. And what's sad is they don't even realize that they're out of contract. If you don't pay for your house, what happens? 
If you don't pay for your car, what happens? If you neglect your spouse, what could happen? If you don't hold to a covenant, you're out of contract. Verse 11. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, know the Lord for I, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. When he set a new covenant, he said, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever become obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. So I'll ask you a question. If all this covenant talk that we're seeing here, let's just say the writer's right because a lot of people have questions about this. Is it just for the children of Israel? Is it just for the house of Judah? Is it just for God's chosen one? And whenever I run into questions like this, I always go to see what Jesus said. Look up here with me on the screen what Jesus says about this in John 10, verse 16. I have other sheep too that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them in also. In John three sixteen, he says this. This is how God loved the world. That he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Leave it right there. Every single one of us know this verse. Almost everybody in this room know this verse. Maybe you know it under a transla different translation. That's cool. That's cool. But I want you to see something here. Let me get around here. This may be dangerous. Everyone who believes. You know what that is? Roberto's mad because he can't see me on the screen. <laughs> Everyone who believes. You know what that is? It's a condition. It's a term. It's a term. This is what God is doing with his world. He is making terms. He is making conditions. But he is also giving a promise. Everyone who believes in him, Jesus, will not perish, but have eternal life. John 3, 16 
It's not just a cute verse that we see on people's eyes. It's not just a cute verse that we learn in Sunday school. John 3, 16 is the start of a covenant. It is the start of a new covenant with God to bring about something that none of the other covenants could ever bring about. All the other covenants brought about earthly conditions. This new covenant is bringing about an eternal promise. It's an eternal promise. It's a promise that we can hold on to. And I know I'm going to get letters about this. Bring them on. It's funny, the other day I got a letter. Whenever I get a letter in the mail that it's not addressed, I know somebody's been listening to my preaching. When there's no return address, I know they don't want to have a conversation. They just want to tell me everything that I said that was wrong. That's cool, because I picked that letter apart so fast it wasn't even funny. But the terms of condition for salvation are what? Believe. What does it mean by believe? Trusting in him. Trusting in him for what? Trusting in him to make a way for you to come to God. What's separating you from God? Your sin, nothing else. God did not separate us from him. And some will say, well, Scotty, are you sure there's not more? Are you sure there's not more that has to come along? Is it really just as easy as believing? Well, Ephesians 2 verses eight through nine says this. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that you have done so that none of us, none of us, none of us can boast about it. Because see, if salvation was based upon what me and you done, we would be holding it over everybody's head, wouldn't we? Well, see, I'm better than them because I, I'm saved. Well, why are you saved? I'm saved because of what I did. Brothers and sisters, if you are saved because of what you did, whether it be walk an aisle, say a prayer, or repeat after me, if you are saved by that, you really need to reinvestigate your salvation. Because your salvation is not based on what you did, it's based on what he did. And this is the new covenant. This is the covenant that God is making with all his people. Well, who's all his people? Anyone, anyone who believes. So we're in a covenant with God. For those of us who believe in God, who believe in Jesus Christ, who believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, we are in an agreement with God. So everything's good, right? Not necessarily. Because in John 14, verse 12, it says this. I tell you the truth. I've had a couple of people say, Scotty, you need to quit telling people or saying from the pulpit, I'm gonna be honest with you as if I were lying from the first. I've got biblical evidence while I say that. Jesus said it, okay? I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will what? I want you to read it. Read it out loud. Anyone who believes in me
You want to know what's so significant about the new covenant? Most of the other covenants, most of the other covenants, not all of them, some were unconditional. Most of the other covenants were God saying, if you do this, if you do this, I'll do this. In other words, a lot of the terms were put before the covenant. A lot of terms were put before the promise. And Jesus just says, if you believe in me, I will save you. And because of that salvation, you'll do this. How many of you knew you made a promise to God? How many of you honestly knew that when you ask him to be your Lord and your savior, that I made a promise to him to follow him, to do as he did, and to be his disciple. Do you know that? So how are we doing on our covenant? How are we doing on our covenant? Because if you have trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you have made him your Lord and Savior, you have entered into that covenant with him. And that covenant is a binding agreement between you and God. And this covenant may not have been what you wanted at first, but you realized at some point, this is what you needed. And this covenant in Ephesians 1 tells us that this covenant empowers us with spiritual gifts from heavenly places. And these spiritual gifts from heavenly places are to be utilized to bring others to Christ. How are we doing with our covenant? How are we doing with our covenant? How many people have you brought to Christ? How have you utilized these spiritual gifts from heavenly places? For the growth, for the edification of his church. How are you doing with your covenant? Because covenants can either be agreed on or they can be rejected. They can be rejected just like a last will and testament of an individual who has died. Any of you ever been left an inheritance? For those who've been left an inheritance, you know this. You didn't have to receive that inheritance, did you? You didn't have to take it. You could have rejected those terms and those conditions, and you could have said, I don't want none of that. 
But for you to even be able to get in on that inheritance, what had to take place first? Somebody had to die. Somebody had to die. Somebody had to die for you to gain that inheritance. And brothers and sisters, we have been given a heavenly inheritance. We have a heavenly inheritance that is offered to every single person on this, in this room, every single person who's listening online. And to gain this inheritance, all you have to do is say, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take this inheritance. I will use this inheritance. I will make the most of this inheritance. And I will do it for your good and for your glory. The inheritance that we are given is offered to us at the death of Jesus Christ. Our sin is what separated us from God. Our sin is forgiven at the expense of Jesus Christ. Do you accept his terms? Because a lot of people think that once we enter this new covenant, this new covenant that's offered for everybody, that that's all I've got to do. I've got Jesus. I'm good. I don't have to do anything else. If that's the case, then why don't you just die and go on to be with him? The truth of the matter is you're still alive because he's not done with you yet. He still has something greater for you. He still has something more for you. And what is that? It's those heavenly gifts, spiritual gifts from heavenly places that are to be used for his glory and his purpose. But for some of us, there's a chance that some of us have never entered into that covenant. There's a chance that some of us are still thinking that we're good enough to be with God. There's still some of us that think I can do enough good works to make myself righteous before God. And that's foolishness. Because all it takes is you breaking one Sabbath. All it takes is you dishonoring your mother and father once. And you're sealed. But there is an inheritance that is offered to you. It's offered to you because the one who offers the inheritance died to give it to you. And all you've got to do is believe in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that that took the payment for your sins. Pray with me. Father, so many of us are still trapped 
in a mindset that we could ever be good enough to get our, make our way to you. But that's not the case, God. That's not the case at all. Because the law was never designed, Lord, to give us a heavenly inheritance. The law was designed, just like we read last week, to show us our need for you. And Father, I pray that constantly every day we see how much we need you. Because Lord, it's easy for us to point out the sins of others, but it is so much harder for us to see the sin that is creeping in our own heart. But Father, I pray that we would take security in this new covenant that we have been offered. This new covenant that has been grafted in us. And Father, I pray that we would take hold of it and give it to the world. But Father, I also know that there's some here this morning who do not fully understand the price that was paid for them. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would do in their lives what I cannot. I pray, Lord, that it would draw them to you. Father, thank you for this new covenant that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for offering your son. And thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to proclaim your name all over this earth. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.